and welcome to another episode of the Let's Watch 2 podcast, a podcast with aspirations of discovering the ultimate double feature. My name is Sam, I'm your host, and joining me today from the other side of the world are my favorite Aussie film enthusiasts, Matt and Sarah of Amateur Filmies. Matt and Sarah were guest hosts on a previous episode of the show covering Videodrome and They Live, which which has proven to be one of the more popular episodes on the show so far. Uh, and I really enjoy Amateur Filmies uh, YouTube content and the couple themselves are even more of a pleasure to talk to in person. So uh, welcome back, Matt and Sarah. Thank you very much, Sam, for having us. We're really, um, really happy to be here talking to you again. Yep, my sentiments exactly. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. So we actually had a bit of a mishap when we uh, planned to record this uh, episode. So there's been a recent uh, change in the time the clocks have gone backwards or forwards and we uh, scheduled this episode like a, a week ago and i didn't realize that the clocks went forward for you guys in australia and they went back <laughs> for us here in the uk so they actually turned out to be um instead of a nine hour time difference an 11 hour time difference so we <laughs> sort of all got mixed up and the uh, the show had to be rescheduled but we're finally here ready to talk about this week's uh, this episode so yeah i'm really excited to uh delve into these uh this pairing of films absolutely same here these are two films that we both love and it's yeah it's gonna be great to have an opportunity to talk about them at length so we look forward to it so this episode will be focusing on the 1996 film scream directed by wes craven and the 2012 film cabin in the woods directed by drew drew goddard um, if you're not familiar with the format here on the show, um, we like to discuss two films individually and then together as a pairing, commenting on the merits and shortcomings of both and then the, the strength of the films as a double feature. And as always on the show, before jumping in, we like to ease ourselves in by discussing some of the films we've been watching recently. Uh, so yeah, guys, um, what have you been watching uh, recently? So we've been watching a lot um, throughout the month of October and we actually did sort of like a 13 days of Halloween um, marathon, I guess you'd call it. <laughs> so we've been trying to watch um, a horror movie a day. Uh, we started off with uh, Come to Daddy with Elijah Wood. Um, I was uh, amazed at how good that movie was. I loved it. Yeah, it was really, um, really, really fun indie movie. Uh, one I wasn't expecting to like as much as I did. I'd seen a few people on youtube show it in their recent pickups and so we sort of put it on the um on the watch list and then we came across a good deal picked it up and yeah it was a really really awesome watch highly recommend it to you as well sam yeah i've not checked out that one yet but it's been on my radar so yeah based on your recommendation i'll uh, make an effort to to seek that one out excellent we've also watched obviously as sarah said we've been watching a lot of horror movies um we also have watched a couple of classics um we watched uh, the original sleepaway camp which is a favorite um, nice. for the both of us. I actually re I regularly wear my Sleepaway Camp t-shirt in our videos, actually. It's just <laughs> a, such a um, classic slasher with an absolutely insane ending that I'm sure a lot of people have heard about. Terrifying. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah it's just insane. And I, it's been a while, but I even liked the sequel to it, the second one, but I haven't watched the third. But, you know, they're, they're sort of guilty pleasures in the sense, but the first one does have a lot of really great moments in it and, you know, deserves its spot as one of the best slashers out there, I think. Well, another um, another one I, I I'm a big fan of. On upon rewatch, it wasn't as good. Um, it stains the sands red, which is a indie sort of zombie movie. And Matt wasn't the biggest fan of it. I think he was he liked it up until the end. Have you seen it, Sam? 
I have not. I have not. So you give us a rundown of what it's about. So practically, um, a, a woman who has a bit of a drug addiction, it sort of comes into play later, she gets stuck out in the Nevada desert during the beginning of a zombie apocalypse. And she gets, um, she becomes the target of one singular zombie. And the mm-hmm. zombie follows her throughout the desert as she's trying to um, get to an airbase. And it, the concept is, is a bit silly, but like she she's very vulnerable and there's no easy way of killing this zombie. And it, it, it's like a, yeah, it's just an interesting sort of like tale of survival. Yeah, it's very, very uh, tense at moments. And, you know, there's a lot of um, humour to sort of, you know, alleviate the tension at that point. So, you know, she's, she's quite funny at times, our lead actress. And just the idea even freaks me out. Just, you know, the idea of a zombie constantly walking towards, it's almost like it follows, yeah. <laughs> um, but not quite as supernatural, okay. of course. But, um, yeah. yeah, just the idea of a singular zombie just always mm-hmm. walking towards you. You know, there are some some bits which were a bit unbelievable. And, you know, as with a lot of horror movies, you sort of imagine yourself in the scenario and trying to, you know, you know, ask her, why didn't you do this? Why did you do that? All that sort of stuff. But on the whole, I thought it was an enjoyable movie. That I don't regret watching it. I just think the third act kind of started to fall apart just a little bit. But um, apart from that, it was definitely a decent indie uh, zombie movie. That was a, yeah, it was a good first time watch, I think. Yeah, so we also watched, uh, for the first time, actually, you know, this is one of those big horror movies that, you know, I'd known about for a number of years, but never had actually gotten around to just watching it. And it's actually the original Critters movie. Have you seen it? Yeah, I love the original Critters movie. I think <laughs> yeah. I've, I think so I've seen all of them. I think the quality of them does um, sharply decline as you go through them, at least in my opinion. <laughs> but yeah, that first one is a film I watched when I was a child. And it yeah, that had an impact on me. It kind of, yeah, they're just the teeth and... Yeah, they, yeah, they, that scared me when I was a child. But yeah, I, I really enjoy that the first yeah, one at least. It's um, it was really just the classic eighties, you know, classic eighties horror, and I really, really enjoyed it. And um, you know, it's, it's it's funny. There's like a whole like stretch of these type of little critter like movies where you know there's there's critters, there's um ghoulies, there's gremlins, there's uh, hobgoblins, as well. There's <laughs> there's a whole bunch of them, and. Yeah, we got we got the Screen Factory Critters box set, so we were looking forward to watching the other few. And um, <laughs> I don't know if this makes us bad people or not, but we our our niece, she's how old is she? Says she's like, about eight. Yeah, she's eight. She insisted on you know watching the first Critters with us, and we thought it'd be pretty safe. And it, it was it, she, she actually, wasn't scared of it. Yeah, she, she wasn't it. scared. Of it. She actually really really loved it, and she's been hassling us to watch Critters two next. So um, probably have a, another young horror fan in the making at the moment, but we're hoping to watch Critters two um, hopefully soon. But yeah, apart from that, yeah, we've just been watching a bunch of horror movies. Halloween, about, um, yeah, Halloween. Tales of, uh, not Tales of Halloween. Yeah, Tales of Halloween. Tri- Trick or Treat. We're about to watch. And, yes, um, nice. We've also what was the other one? Uh, Bliss as well by Joe Biggis, who also did VFW. He's yes. also a good up and coming film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing, isn't he? Great. Yeah. That's good stuff. What about you? What have you been watching? Same as pretty much everybody who loves films has been pretty much mostly consuming horror type films as of late. Um, I've been working my way through the Friday the 13th series. Lovely. <laughs> Again, yeah, which is always a treat. I've been really enjoying those. Um, but yeah, a few things of note that I've watched. Um, I watched uh, The Initiation. Have oh. you seen that? Is that released it's by a, a video? Is that, it is, yeah. Crazy. It's No, it's directed by a guy called Larry Stewart. And it's sort of like set in like a sorority house 
and yeah, it's just like a slasher mystery film. I yeah, think I it do takes know a lot that of one. influence. Yeah, it takes a lot of influence from like Jalo films with uh, how it's sort of constructed and stuff. Uh, I will say the acting in it in places is extremely uh, questionable, <laughs> um, which is which is half of the course for a lot of the films that came yeah, it's out. Staple, like, isn't the it? <laughs> for that, yeah, but particularly it's very noticeable in places. Um, but despite that, it is a very enjoyable slasher film that's got some really creative sort of death sequences in it, and. Um, yeah, I won't spoil it, obviously, but the ending is a brain scratcher. You, <laughs> it doesn't really make much sense, but it's just part of the charm of why, why I enjoyed the film. So, yeah, if you're looking for a sort of maybe an un, under sort of talked about um, slasher film from the mid 80s. So, so this came out sort of like towards the end of the um, the first wave of slasher films. So the, the, the sort of genre wasn't as popular as what it was at like the end of the end of the 70s early 80s yeah so um but it's it's definitely worth a watch and yeah i recommend that one awesome for and sure. yeah we'll also... definitely look oh sorry i didn't mean to cut i was just gonna say we no definitely... that's fine i didn't i didn't have anything much to say about it but yeah <laughs> i highly recommend getting it on the next like arrow sale or whenever like, you can get it we will price. for sure i love the idea as well that um you know you said the ending doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense and i tend to like a lot of horror movies where that seems to be the case most recently I think um, was probably the movie Spookies, which I picked up from Vinegar Syndrome. And that is just one of the most crazy, insane movies, nonsensical movies I've ever seen, but the <laughs> effects are just amazing. And yeah, it's just great. I also managed to watch um, the new Borat film. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Have you seen Borat's subsequent <laughs> movie film? I yes. loved it. Oh, you got to say the whole title. <laughs> Have you seen yeah, the Borat? Like, no. For oh, for God's sake, yeah, for yeah. make glory once great, yeah, I can't remember it, but <laughs> you got most uh, of it, yeah. it was really interesting. I thought, obviously, because um, Sasha Baron Cohen and his Borat persona is so well known across the world, he had to sort of bring in another character to mm. do some of the jokes and stuff because he's just too recognizable now to be able to do the stuff that he did like previously in the first film and everything like that. So yeah. I did think that took a little bit away from it, but I think the the uh, the young actress that he brought in did a really good job. And yeah, there's some some so so many cringy moments in it, but overall, <laughs> I found it quite an enjoyable, um, quite an enjoyable film. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, so that that was a. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, like the the character arc within that film was surprisingly like I want to say like poignant. You know what I mean? I thought it was actually quite touching considering how much of a ridiculous film it is like i thought oh you know yeah. they've actually fleshed out these characters pretty well you know i don't know <laughs> yeah I, I know what you mean uh, it, it was it was really well done and then lastly a film of note is something i probably should have seen a long time ago um sort of back at the sort of dawn of like the horror genre really i uh, got around to watching todd browning's um dracula starring bela lugosi from 1931 sort of like one of the original universal horror films nice um, nice yeah have you ever seen those any of those horror universal films we're probably going to um lose some fans here but uh, we've, we've gotten the um we have the big universal box set but there's a whole bunch of the classics that we are still yet to get to and i have to say that dracula is one of them 
um yeah we, it's one of those ones we have been meaning to watch for so long i mean it is literally i a, think a you need to be in the right mood to watch it it's very slow cinema uh, um and because it came out in 1931 you're not really gonna even though it was pre-code the pre-haze code it it is it, there's no like violence or anything in it sort mm. of like anytime dracula goes in to bite someone the camera sort of like pans away or it dissolves before you see anything yeah um but i think the mood of the film is really quite creepy and if you you just like let it sink in and stuff it's quite um ominous and the yeah bela lugosi as dracula is just iconic and it, it was really good and yeah i only watched it this week um but i really enjoyed it and i do have a few more of the uh, universal horror films like um, frankenstein and the bride of frankenstein and uh the mummy and the invisible man that i need to get around to watching because I, I I like to claim that I'm a pretty big horror fan, but I've I've never seen any of the original ones that came out in like the the thirties. I mean I've seen things like Nosferatu from like the silent era, but anything like from the thirties and forties, even like my hammer horror sort of knowledge and experience yeah. with films is pretty limited. Um I'm mostly my horror knowledge comes from like New Hollywood, um, sort of sixties, seventies onwards and then sort of european horror films asian horror films and the more contemporary stuff so i just want to fill in the gaps really but yeah i i really really liked dracula it's really short it's only just over an hour long so even though it's quite slow you don't feel like it drags on too long because it's a really short film yeah and yeah yeah um i'd highly recommend checking it out um especially if you've got the box set no um, we do, yeah. Yes, yeah it's a good it's a good film so, um, as always uh, on the show, we like to discuss the film that came out first, um, which uh, is Scream, because it came out in 1996. So, guys, uh, when was the first time you saw Scream, and what did you think? Oh, God. Um, I was probably, like, four or five when I first watched it. <laughs> and You're it was, joking. It was the scariest thing I'd ever seen. Um that's the scene, opening scene with Drew Barrymore gave me nightmares for days. And um, for myself, I honestly, it's really hard for me to remember. I, I feel like I watched it not much later than that, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> we, I don't know what kind of childhoods we had, but yeah. <laughs> uh, we, I think I may have watched it when I was about eight or nine. And I remember because I used to go over to my friend's house whose parents didn't necessarily mind us watching any horror movie we want. I remember the first actual, you know, grown-up horror movie i guess you could say was i uh, watched at his place was Ch the original child's play and that also terrified me mm, but i also yeah. watched scream there for the first time and yeah i have since fallen in love with the movie but it definitely terrified me the first Absolutely. time i watched it yeah i mean i i didn't see it as young as you guys um i think you guys have turned out okay considering you saw it <laughs> at, at such a young age but i think i saw it probably when i was about 13 or 14 uh, on v yeah i saw it on vhs and like you i don't know how it would have scared me when i was four or five years old but it definitely scared uh the pants off me when i was that age and at that time i hadn't seen basically any of the films that like sort of referenced or parodied or like are given a nod to in that film so i although i, I was scared by it and i i did enjoy it but it did scare me um I, I, it didn't take, it took a lot of repeated viewings years later for me to fully appreciate the film because of, of how meta the film is, if that makes sense. It's got so many references to so many different films and filmmakers and things in it. 
that at that young age I hadn't seen any of the films I wasn't really into films as like I am now so all that sort of stuff would have gone straight over my head and I wouldn't have got it um but yeah so yeah I watched it probably I think 2000 maybe 2001 was the first time I saw it yeah like quite a number of years after it came out but I was aware of the like the ghost face image it was quite a recognizable thing even if you haven't seen the scream series yeah very iconic quite it's quite yeah it's very iconic like the jason mask and not as big as like jason mask but like jason's mask and michael myers's mask and things like that and freddy krueger and things like that but it's uh yeah it's uh i love this film so much i can't wait to talk about it so um how uh before we move on into more deeper discussion about scream how I should probably say that this film is directed by Wes Craven, who is a fantastic director who's made so many great films. But how familiar are you with Wes Craven's other work? Um, a very, yeah, very familiar. We, he's definitely one of my favorite horror, um, horror directors, and he's just made so many amazing and important movies as well. Of course, he had the, you know, the run in the seventies where he did the big titles like Last House on the Left and, you know, The Hills Have Eyes, which are both excellent movies. And, um, you know, then we've gone to the eighties where we've got nightmare on Elm street, which is, of course, I don't even need to say anything about that. It's just <laughs> space for itself, how great that franchise is. And he's just done a bunch of, and then obviously in the nineties, he's done scream, you know, I'm leaving out a lot of films here, but he has done just amazing work. And even some of his efforts in the two thousands weren't too bad either. I actually, I mean, I'm sure we'll mention it a bit later, but I actually really like scream four as well. I think yes. that's a good one. And, um, I can't remember if he directed it, but he was, I think he at the very least produced the Hills Have Eyes remake as well. No, he definitely didn't direct that. That was Alexander. Alex yes. Um, but that was also, um, yeah, I think he had a role in producing that and that was great too, but just an iconic filmmaker and definitely one of our favorites. Yeah. I've, I've seen most of his work. I don't think I've seen anything of his like, um, really from the two thousands that he made and I've not seen, although I need to get around to it, I've not seen, um, Wes Craven's new nightmare. I don't uh, know yes. how, if that's, is that, is that a good entry into the, into the series? I think I stopped watching the films after like the fourth one. I do have the box set, so I do need to revisit them and carry on and finish the series to the end. Um, but yeah, I've not seen the new nightmare, but I know it has quite mixed, um, opinions on it. Some people think it's an absolutely brilliant entry into the series and other people think it's trash. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely, um, I will say before I say anything else is, uh, that it has been a number of years since I've watched it, but I do recall thinking it was one, definitely one of the better ones in the franchise. I'm actually planning nice. on hopefully rewatching the entire franchise for a possible future ranking video, but I just, you know, I'm looking for any excuse to watch all those movies again, but Yes, um, Wes Craven's New Nightmare is definitely uh, definitely a worthy entry and it's one of the ones that I remember liking the most for sure. Where do we start with Scream? I guess we would start with the sort of quite iconic now, I guess, the intro scene that Sarah said scared her to death and gave her nightmares for ages. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that and how this intro scene basically sets the tone for, for the whole film already in some of the dialogue sort of self it's like referential to horror films already out there so we have um what is it we have friday the 13th is mentioned and she obviously gets the question wrong about who's the uh, killer yeah um, which is always a great i love that bit because anyone who's a fan of the series knows that it's not jason who's the killer in the first film <laughs> that's it's right. mrs Voorhees, which is fantastic 
Although you got to give so her a bit a of a good... break because she's, you know, a bit under a bit of pressure. Her boyfriend's <laughs> about to die. <laughs> uh, that's true. That's true. But yeah, the, I think the whole thing of like Drew Barrymore at the time was quite a famous person. Like she was like, I know like on the, on the, I've got the Blu-ray in front of me just, just as a, um, a visual aid, but she's like right on the front cover, like, right, like all the characters are sort of lined up in like a line like uh, i don't know how to describe it but she's like right at the front of the group yeah she's yeah, not the main mystery, character of the it? film i think it's basically like she was a big name and it sort of pulls in people to come watch the film it's very much like a psycho moment yes absolutely where janet janet where janet lee was obviously billed as like the main character i mean she does janet lee doesn't get killed off in the first 10 five minutes of the film it does take a little while for um norman bates to uh get to her but um it's a very similar type of thing where she is like billed as a main character in the film and then she's basically killed off in the first five minutes and people are like what what's going on here it automatically sort of subverts your expectations of what this film's going to be like because the main character who you expected to play a big part in the film is already gone and there that's it that's that then done so Absolutely. i thought that was a really interesting really interesting way of like starting the film off yeah and it's really interesting because you, you said that like it sort of subverts expectations and that's what this movie was about but given sort of like the time you know i, I was born in 1995 like given the time um that i was born and how much of an influence this movie already had by the time i was a child this film feels like a classic even though it's built off other classics that does that make sense like yeah it does it yeah it's like the pinnacle for me even though it's not original yeah, i don't know no, I, I get what you mean for sure yeah and i like the comparison to psycho it's now that you said it it seems so obvious but i hadn't even thought of that and like you can you know this came out in 1996 you know obviously i mean i this sounds the internet was obviously around but not like to the same degree like i imagine not like it still would have shocked like so many people like going into the cinema and only finding out then and there that's the case something like that would likely have been spoiled by now so i can imagine like how much of a bigger impact it would have had in the 90s as well and as you said a big name like drew barrymore who was you know huge at the time you know seeing her get killed off in the first yeah. five minutes or however long it was definitely you know would have definitely set the tone for the rest of the movie like you can't you're not going to be able to guess you know, if, if you went in thinking that she was going to be the main character, who knows what you, is going to happen for the rest of the movie now Absolutely. that she's been killed off, you know? Especially considering, I don't know how many horror movies Drew Barrymore was in prior to this. No, she was in, um, a, she was in she was Firestarter. In Firestarter, but, like, as a child, like, this is, it feels so almost um, violating to sort of kill kill off an, an it girl in such an unceremonious fashion. Yeah, it's very gruesome, too. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's great. I, I I love that intro scene. Um, another another point of discussion that I I find really interesting. It, it, this discussion for me, at least from my point of view, is just going to be how much homage and uh, sort of not ripping off, but just like uh, sort of copying. Uh, I'm not really using the right words here, but it basically Ski Ulrich is a carbon copy of a young Johnny Depp, right? So he. <laughs> Depp, yeah, he look well, he looks very much like a young Johnny Depp, particularly in Nightmare on Elm Street, yes, which is a Wes Craven film, and there's obviously a choice for Wes Craven to have cast Ulrich in that role because of that reason, because it's all very meta and interconnected and parodying 
but not to a comedy effect, even though there are some funny moments in this film. Um, but yeah, I just find that really interesting. And also Ulrich's uh, character name. So I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware, um, you might be, but I'll just give you a little quiz to see if you know. So um, Ulrich's um, name in the film is Billy Loomis. So do you know where the, the origin of the, that name comes from? Well, uh, I immediately, my, my mind jumps to, um, there's Sam Loomis in Psycho and then there's also Samuel Loomis in Halloween. Correct. I knew you'd know that. I just thought I'd uh, maybe like test some uh, any listeners out there to see if I they knew the where the name comes from. <laughs> no, you can't. Yeah. Talk. So <laughs> no. So um, yeah. So Doctor Loomis is sort of Michael Myers's uh, carer, psychiatrist, or whatever from Halloween, and that character John Carpenter named him after Sam Loomis from Psycho, um, and then it just gets really weird because psycho stars janet lee who is jamie lee curtis's mother in yep. real life who was the star of halloween so yes. it's all just one big soup <laughs> of film interconnectedness it's crazy but i love it i love things like that that's awesome no, that, that's perfect because i remember like we we just watched psycho and then we we started watching the halloween movies and i'm like i swear i've heard this name before and matt was telling me i was crazy and i'm like no why would they name the character the exact same name? Yeah, I'm it's really bad something. with remembering <laughs> characters' names. And, like, it's one of the, as, you know, when you pointed it out, I'm like, doy. Like, of course, that's the case. <laughs> like, I didn't even make the connection. Like, yeah, I'm, I just have a thing with remembering character names. I've even <laughs> I've had to get, like, INDB up right now just to remind myself of who. So even though I've seen this film a million times. But, yeah, like, I just I, I love how interconnected it is with all other you know, of these horror classics and just how even to like the smallest details, like someone's last name is like considered, is considered and taken into account. And how about the, um, the Wes Craven cameo in the film yes. as Fred the janitor <laughs> dressed as Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street. It's just, it's just, I think it's genius. I absolutely love little things like that in films. Yeah. Um, fantastic yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> I was watching it, we're watching it with my little brother and he's about five years younger and when he popped up as the janitor, Matt and I both laughed and were like, oh, you know, that, that's hilarious. Like, mm. look, cameo. And he had no idea who he was or who he was dressed no. as. And I thought, <laughs> it's funny how the, you know, like the generations, you know, they don't understand. <laughs> He's only five years younger. Let's give him a break. But like, I felt so yeah. old though. <laughs> no, it's, it's a really cool, like, you, it's one of those things where you can tell. I know you get sometimes you get the vibe with certain movies that you can just see everyone on set all the actors and they just feel like that would have been a fun movie to make i sort of get the vibe that that was it would have been a fun set to be on i don't know like just you'd hope so <laughs> yeah yeah especially with all the all the stuff they're actually dealing with in the actual movie but i don't know just the ways that the characters interact and just you know the little cameos and stuff like that I always felt like it would have been a fun movie to be a part of i just want to talk about the cast for a second like how you guys feel about the cast in the film so absolute perfect casting matthew lillard yeah rose mcgowan like you couldn't have a yeah. better, better choice <laughs> matthew lillard is insanely good in this film yes. if i was to put a list of like my top 50 acting performances of all time i would put matthew lillard in that list somewhere there because it's just it's over the top but um, a mannered over the top, if that makes sense. Because yes. you get people like um, um, Nicolas Cage, who I do love, even though he has done some extremely bad performances and not in a good way. Um, he 
it's one of the it's like one of the over top Nicolas Cage performances where it works. Matthew Lillard in this is insanely good. Um, I I just love, especially my favorite scene from the film. I'll ask you what yours is after this. Is the scene where it's revealed that hopefully I'm not spoiling this for anybody, but this film came out. 24 years ago so um, get over it yeah (laughs) get over it yeah i should probably put a disclaimer at the beginning of the episode like we're going to be talking about spoilers about these films because they've been out for quite a number of years now so i'm assuming that anyone who's going to be probably clicking on this to listen to it has seen the films already anyway but just in case i'm about to spoil pretty much the ending of the film so if you haven't seen the scream film and you don't want to have the ending spoiled for you stop stop the show now go watch the film and then come back after you've seen it so yeah so the ending of the film reveals that that the the killers is a pair it's um billy and um oh my god what's his name what's matthew lillard's character's name Stu. yes they're sort of like revealing why they've done it and um basically it's when they're stabbing each other (laughs) (laughs) Yes, <laughs> trying to, yes. and they like don't go too deep and all that <laughs> stuff and like um sydney's just like you guys are crazy and you're sick and stuff and they're just like thinking it's like the most sane thing in the world <laughs> and it's just just matthew lillard like dying slowly but still being zany at the same yes. time he's just like oh my god it's just brilliant like yeah. it's where the combination of like the suspense and the horror i mean i've seen this film so many times this film doesn't scare me remotely anymore it's just all fun thrills more than anything but the comedy in some of those moments are just pitch perfect Mm -hmm. at least in my at least in my opinion and yeah matthew lillard in that role is just exquisite and uh he's acting wise he's the he's the highlight of the film in terms of acting performance he's just superb in it yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. He's de- he's probably my favorite um character in the entire movie as well. And that like even with that said, I still love like pretty much every character in this movie. And I said quickly, just a quick aside, I wanted to recommend a movie just based on his performance. Um if you really like, which you obviously do since you've just talked about it, if if you like his performance in Scream, I highly re- recommend the film Hackers from I think uh it may have ca- come out maybe even 99? the same year. No, it, it, within a few years of Scream on either side and it's wildly different it's not a slasher by any means it's like a dated 90s sort of tech movie where you know it's all about hacking obviously um and yeah it's just really fun movie but matthew lillard's performance in it he's a supporting actor but he's just absolutely crazy and it just completely zany as he is in scream and um yeah i highly recommend it and the because it's a hacking movie they all have like they're all like their little tech names like um the main actor played by Johnny Lee Miller, his hacking name is like Zero Cool. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Matthew Lillard's character, his hacker name is Ser- Serial Killer, but Serial spelt like, you know, cereal for breakfast. <laughs> um, yeah, nice. It's just, it's such a cheesy, but amazingly fun movie. In my, oh, Is that the one with Angelina Jolie in? Yes, it yeah. is. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I think I've seen that, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. But I, I seem to recall watching that on vhs back in the day when we used to have rental yeah. stores but and yeah it's, it's one of those again maybe i'm i've got rose tinted glasses or maybe it's just something that i have an immense amount of nostalgia for but i i actually legitimately like that movie and as i said if you like if you want to see him uh, matthew Lillard act like he didn't scream have a watch of that one again <laughs> yeah other than uh, Stu, my other favorite character 
is probably um, Jamie, played by Jamie Kennedy. Yes. No, not Jamie Kennedy. What's his name? Randy. No. Is it Randy? Yeah, Randy. Yeah. Jamie Kennedy. Yeah. Played. Randy played by Jamie Kennedy. Sorry. I got confused there for a second. <laughs> and yeah, he's basically uh, an avatar for the audience in the film. Because obviously going into this, we know, well, we should know what the rules of a horror film are, particularly like slasher mystery films. They typically, uh, like during the like 70s and 80s and even some of the ones in the 90s they all follow generally a, a formula where certain people are killed for certain reasons and yeah so he's basically the the audience because we know what to expect and he basically verbalizes that on screen and he is it's just great that i love how i'm going to say meta a lot because it's my favorite <laughs> word at the moment but he's so meta his character is so meta in the moment where they're all at the house party and they're all watching Halloween on TV, yes. which is a great scene because if you go back to the original Halloween, they're watching the thing on the TV. Yes. Oh. So it's almost like, yeah. So if you, in the original Halloween, the, um, which John Carpenter remade, obviously. So it's such a weird thing. So I've never actually seen the original um the thing from outer space from like the fifties, I think it is, but that's obviously what the inspiration for John Carpenter's, the thing was, and that's on the TV in Halloween. And then in scream, they're watching Halloween, um, which is just, uh, it's just brilliant. And yeah, when uh, Jamie, um, Randy's in the room by himself talking about Jamie Lee Curtis's character in the film on the screen, <laughs> he's like, Jamie, look out behind you. Yes, His real name is Jamie Kennedy, so he's literally oh, yes, yes. To watch out. Yeah, yeah, and I noticed just, that and as well. It, and, the, and it's <laughs> that was all on purpose. It wasn't like accidental because of the thing. It's just like just brilliant writing and just so many nods to so many different things. And I love that moment. And I love yeah. the delay in the the um, the news truck is thirty seconds behind everything. That's such a great like a way of creating suspense because yes there's a delay on everything yeah. from the pers perspective of because we're watching the screen uh we're watching a screen but on the screen we're watching a, a screen of something that's 30 seconds delayed that's which right. is just mental so it's just it's just great suspense and yeah i love that yeah it's fantastic i i really love that scene as well and you know i, I think you said we'd talk about it later but when it comes to favorite scenes i think you've you've, <laughs> you've already named a couple of mine yeah. as well <laughs> um just fantastic moments and like you know that scene where he goes, says jamie look out behind you when he's talking to the tv like it's one of those scenes where it almost i wouldn't be surprised if it was the case but it feels like that character was named specifically so they could film just that little bit and like <laughs> mm. i think it, i think it worked out great so yeah, it could almost be to the point of being too on the nose, but like you could have watched that film not knowing that his real name was Jamie Kennedy and exactly. then that completely par pass over your head being like, well, and some people may not even know that like um, Laurie Strode in Halloween was played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Then people, not everyone knows what like all the actors play whoever and things like that. Yes. And I'm sure people who have seen this film haven't like don't know all the interconnected things. It's just and that just because if you don't know those doesn't take away the enjoyment of the film because it's just a great mystery film in itself. Yes. But knowing all these extra layers and things that are put in, it just enriches the enjoyment of the film so much more. 
um, which is a re- one of the reasons why I love it because it's so layered and so referential to so many other different films and things like that. It's just absolutely brilliant. And I'm going to really struggle to find a critique of this film, but <laughs> I do have one critique of the film. Although I would you. say this film is nearly <laughs> perfect. I do, I do have one critique, which I'll probably mention now. Yeah, and I don't ahead. know if it's because I I don't know. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna um, defend we'll it when you. I tell you what it is. Yeah, it's okay. Um, it's I've seen. I guess it's maybe because I've seen this film so many times. But I do think the casting of uh, Henry Winkler as the principal and him being like a red herring for like being the killer doesn't work on repeated viewings for me. I Why think is that? his character isn't. Why is that? Yeah, I just I don't know. I th- it might just be because it's Henry Winkler. <laughs> I don't think because like, you, I associate him with obviously the Fonz, and I'm a huge Arrested Development fan. And yeah. he plays like a <laughs> he plays like a lawyer, a terrible lawyer in that. And I just I just don't know. Um, I know like the whole idea of him. Scream is supposed to yeah, the whole idea of Scream is supposed to be subverting expectations and things like that. And you wouldn't expect a character like Henry Winkler to be the killer, but I just found the signaling of him being a bit creepy, like when he's in the uh, the principal's office and he like grabs Sydney's like face and sort of like in a creepy way to say it's going to be fine or just tell him everything they need to know, sort of thing. I just I don't know. Ever since I watched it when yeah. I was younger, I just didn't buy it. That's um, but that, that's just a personal that. thing. I don't think his performance is bad. I just don't think the writing sells him. Like every other suspect for me, obviously I know how it ends, but even when you're watching it, you're like, yeah, they could be the killer because of how it's written and executed. But the principle wasn't used enough for me to warrant being the killer. Yeah, no, I actually agree with you. No, I I agree with you. I always thought the same. Um, It's one of those things and, you know, like... I love this film so much and I've watched it so many times that, you know, as you said, like it's hard to critique this film and even like that itself is a critique. I, I, for me, I think the film is that good that it doesn't detract from it in any way, but yeah, I also, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, but I do agree with all the points you make. I never personally ever thought that it, he was a word. Like I never really bought into him as a potential suspect, even though there were scenes dedicated to trying to make us think that. I don't no, um, it seems like of... Sarah might think differently though. Go on, yeah. argue your case, Sarah. Well, yeah. I sort of bought it because you you see the conversation he has with the police before the before Sydney comes in, and it feels like something really dodgy where they're discussing the mum and they're like, "Oh, this is the mum," and it sort of suggests like she's they've had some prior history with her, mm. even though they could just be referencing her murder. It just feels like, oh, okay, so they have some sort of connection, maybe. Yeah they're after her in a creepy you know like they want to exact revenge on her for the mothers i don't know something yeah it just he felt creepy yeah creepy enough that i thought okay i could believe he him to be the him to be the killer yeah and it's um i think you did make a good point as well sam when you mentioned how like even though the film is about subverting audience expectations or commenting on that um you thought i would have thought maybe they would make him as a potential suspect a little bit stronger because then that would yeah. have been um it would have you know hit it a bit better but yeah no i guess we agree to disagree a little bit there so <laughs> <laughs> yes we will <laughs> I've, i sort of mentioned some of my favorite scenes from the film um do you want to sort of list <laughs> 
or just mention a couple of your other favorite like defining moments within the film probably um the the one that stands out for me apart from obviously the opening scene um especially okay with the opening scene the most creepy shot that actually still sort of scares me to this day is when it zooms in on drew barrymore's body it has it's um i didn't even i couldn't even describe the zoom the zoom uh effect but it just like, like sort rushes of, up to her yeah, hanging. focuses yeah. in on her hanging and it's so jarring to watch um but the other scene that i really love and you already mentioned it was the 30 second delay plot device mm. when they realize what's happened the cameraman rips open the the door of the van only to be slashed and killed it's, it was so shocking and it still shocks me to watch and mm. yeah i just i think it's brilliant yeah and i think for myself you know again apart from the opening sequence which you know it's iconic for a reason it's a brilliant opening and you know i'm not trying to steal the scenes that you've already mentioned sam but um i do love you know the ending sequence where um Stu and uh <sighs> Billy. Billy, Billy, Stu and Billy, sorry, yeah, <laughs> um, Stu and Billy are revealing themselves, and you know, there's like a type of rhythm to that scene, and just like the acting is just on point. But you know, apart from those two scenes, um, when Randy is sort of doing that speech in front of all the people at the party about <laughs> going through the all the six different rules or whatever, yeah. like you can never leave the room and say I'll be right back because you won't be back or what, however he says it. Um, <laughs> I, I love it. I'll be yeah. right back. Yeah, I, it's, it's fantastic and. <laughs> It's it's just I don't know I, I I really love that scene it's just iconic for me as well and yeah it's probably it's the tone of this movie is just like great like absolutely horrific moments but just littered all the way throughout is just great comedy and you know we've already talked about the writing a bit but it's just so, so on point just and I just I love how just that scene just really does it for me I think yeah completely agree um, so. I was going to just mention, uh, just as an extensive um, thing for any listeners out there, just to mention, as far as I can tell, all the films and things that are referenced in this film. So, just going to go through them. So, we have Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Prom Night, The Howling, Basic Instinct, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, E.T., I Spit on Your Grave, Silence of the Lambs, Psycho, Carrie, and The Exorcist are the ones that I picked up when I was making notes. That's quite an extensive that is. Um, yeah. amount of things that are referenced or, yeah, in this film. Nothing compared to the film that we're going to be talking about uh, <laughs> uh, for the second part of this um, this show. But I thought I'd just mention those out there just to show how many influences and sort of um nods there are to other films in not necessarily in the horror genre but just in in genre in general so mm. yeah so Absolutely. where would you rank this in um craven's filmography guys oh uh, up, up the top yeah. that's it's number one for me. Yeah. yeah yeah um I, I think i'd have to think about it a little bit but i would i'd just have to automatically say definitely top three it's absolutely at the height of you know one of his best movies he's ever done and I, yeah, I wouldn't even, if I said it was my number one, I, I would probably end up sticking with that. I just, this, he's just done so many classics that I'd need to think about. <laughs> but Scream is absolutely up there as definitely being one of the best uh, slashes yeah. of all time, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just a great mi a mystery film as well. Lots of twists and turns. And yeah, it's definitely my favorite Craven film. It's one, it's probably my top five horror films ever as well. Yeah, I, I really, really, I really, really love this film. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I felt I had to put in that critique 
of the Henry Winkler principal role because uh, so we don't other seem than like that, too big for fanboys or whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Other than that, I I can't really think of much. Well, I do I've, actually. Yeah, I oh, sorry, go on. <laughs> no, no. I was like, I, apart from that one critique, um, maybe oh, no. I don't know because even the music in the film that is used is is just evocative of the nineties. So mm. I guess that's that that works as well for me. Um, it wouldn't be music that I would typically. Apart the use of "Red Right Hand" by um, Nick Cave is is just brilliant. I think it's used um, in the through the rest of the series as well. Um, mm. But yeah, um, it's pretty much. It's like not my favorite film, but it's a it's pretty much a perfect film for me. I yeah, mean, even that Henry Winkler thing I mentioned, I, I I can I can live with it. It doesn't take away from my viewing experience but i feel if it was if they made the film a few minutes longer and fleshed out his character a little more mm. and just sold him more as, a, as like a potential suspect then the film like i would literally have nothing else to critique this film about and i absolutely yeah. adore it yeah well this is more of an observation but the character of randy is is pretty iconic in terms of his sort of like, like you said being an avatar for the audience he's very self-aware when um, I watched Scream 4 and even the Scream series that was on Netflix. They have, like, mm -hmm. a Randy-equivalent character who gets very meta about movies. And there's something about it, and it, it might be just, like, the time that it's made. Those types of characters feel, when they're put in a modern context, they feel very sort of, <laughs> sounds horrible, they feel very cringy, if that makes okay. sense. Like, they're, they're, like, too meta for their own good you know, because they're always referencing things that have been done to death, but because it works for Scream, for Randy, for Jamie Kennedy, because it was sort of the original, yeah, like, avatar. Yeah. I think um, I, I do know what you're sort of getting at. I think um, while I can't think of, like, a whole bunch of characters like that right off the top of my head, I do know The Culkin brother in Scream 4. Yeah. Oh, I think he's still not too bad, but, like, because, you know, they're playing off the original movie, of course, but just in general, I think sort of having some characters and maybe, I don't want to say they're too smart, but, like, it's, I don't know, I think maybe it could be argued that it was it's overdone a little bit in some different yeah. movies, but I know, I know what you're getting scream, at. Not just the Scream movies, like you see it in other movies like i think i was watching tragedy girls the other day which is an interesting sort of horror comedy and they just sort of did that trope to death a little bit mm. to the point where it was sort of overdone well i think we we should not acknowledge as well like you know how great the writing in scream is which is you know absolutely <laughs> which is you know that's <laughs> why you know jamie kennedy brings a lot of charisma to that role and he's very memorable and the writing in it is great and i think he even did a lot of um I think I already did a lot of improvised uh, lines in that. So the brilliance of that movie really helps sell that character as well. But I guess, yeah, it probably in more modern films, maybe that trope is a little bit played out. But for the original Scream in the 90s, as we've, you know, we've already just said, like... It fits perfectly it does, yeah. context, yeah. Yeah, just, just one brief thing before we move on to talk about um, our next film. Uh, talking about the writing is uh, by Kevin Williamson. And uh, he wrote... Um, it's a film I don't particularly like anymore. I used to really enjoy it. It has been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember watching it, loving it as a kid, and then watching it like five years later and going, not my cup of tea, even though I do like things of that genre. I'm talking about um, I Know What You Did Last Summer. <laughs> um, so I 
I need. I probably need to rewatch that because there's films that I can now watch from like the '80s that are bad, but I enjoy them because of the charm of the film yeah. and if they've got some creative death sequences. But I don't know. I watched it when I was a kid, and that scared the crap out of me. And then I watched it sometime later, and I I really wasn't that all impressed with it. So I'm, my 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 mind might have changed. But then Kevin Williamson also wrote Screen Two, which oh, okay. is a fantastic sequel to the original one it's not as good as the first scream but scream 2 is a really is a really solid sequel oh absolutely maybe, um, very strong maybe on the show if i have you guys back on sometime down the road we could do a pairing of like sequel films in horror in a horror series so pair scream 2 with another film that's a sequel or something that could be know. cool yeah. yeah that's a good idea yeah actually. um he also wrote um the faculty oh yeah. i love that oh, movie, love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> so much fun yeah um and he also wrote scream four but not scream oh. three yeah yeah scream three is definitely the weakest in the in the chain, i still i, I still personally love it but i can also acknowledge that <laughs> that statement as well <laughs> yeah um so he's uh he's written a few he's written a few good things um but yeah i just wanted to shout out kevin williamson because yeah you're probably your crowning achievement is writing uh scream because it is incredible yeah so absolutely so, um, moving on now to the second uh, film of this uh, episode, we're going to be talking about um, the 2012 film Cabin in the Woods, directed by Drew Goddard. Um, yeah, so when, uh, when was the first time you saw Cabin in the Woods and what did you think, guys? Oh, God, uh, probably 2013, 2014, and I absolutely loved it. I had no idea what it was supposed to be when I first watched it and I was so confused, but I loved it at the same time in terms of like the genre, the genre bending that it does. Yeah. And, um, I, I probably watched it only a couple of years after release as well. I don't, I never, I didn't watch it at the cinema. Um, actually it's funny. I was reading some trivia about it and apparently it was one of the films that didn't end up getting a cinema run in Australia and people in Australia were like protesting and bombarding Roadhouse films. Who was distributing it. <laughs> it was just a yeah, funny bit of thing I was reading, but, um, yeah, I probably watched it like maybe 2014, 2015 and yeah, same, same thing. I absolutely loved it. Such a fun movie. And, um, there's so many things about it that just play to the types of horror films that I like. And, and I'm sure that we'll go into that in a moment, but yeah, absolutely adore it. Yeah, so I didn't get around to watching this until about 18 months ago. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I don't know why. You, you get these films sometimes that come along that you want to watch, but they just you just don't get the right time or the mood or for some reason it, it just escapes you and you're like, oh, I haven't seen that film, but I really should have. Mm. So yeah, I watched it about 18 months ago and I thought it was really good. Again, like scream which is why we're pairing it it subverts genre tropes and expectations about what the film is you're going to watch although i sort of knew from how the film was playing out apart from the intro scene which we'll talk about how the film plays out after that first scene it does play out for the most part like a typical sort of teen slasher type film mm. but with with bits put in to sort of make you aware that this isn't what to expect but going into the film i had no idea what i was watching i didn't know <laughs> that it was like a genre a film that subverts the genre or anything like that i just thought i was going in to watch a, a horror film with sort of college kids literally in a cabin in the woods so when i watched it i was pleasantly surprised 
um, about what I watched. And I've I've obviously rewatched it again for the purpose of this show. But I do think I I liked it more the second time. Um, yeah. Mainly because of how densely layered this film is with regards to its references we're going to talk about a lot of references like we did with scream there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of references to other types Absolutely. of films and stuff um which is fantastic i love deep diving into those sorts of things uh so yeah before talking about the the film in a bit more depth how familiar are you with um drew goddard's other work and i should probably mention that this film was written by Dr- joss Whedon or whedon i'll never know how you pronounce his name yeah, so I, I don't think, know it's, how I think it's Whedon, yeah. Yeah, Joss Whedon. So I don't know how familiar you guys are with um, those guys' other work. Um, definitely familiar with uh, Joss Whedon. Um, of course. <laughs> Drew Goddard. Um, I, that's right. I remember I was looking at his writing credits, actually, um, a couple of days ago. And, yeah, he's done, He's actually written some great films. Yeah, I don't think he's yeah, done he... much on the directing front, but I think he's no. written a lot of bangers. Like, I know he did... Um, we did obviously this movie, but he also did The Martian as well. Yeah, and yeah. Um, directed it. Yeah, uh, no, he wrote it. Oh, wrote and, it. No, he, um, yeah, he wrote The Martian. Yeah, yeah, and he also wrote the uh, film adaptation of World War Z, which, um, you know, mm-hmm. while is a lot different to the original source novel, I still think is a pretty good um, zombie film. I know Sarah's a big fan of that one, and um, I know not everyone's a big fan of found footage films, but he also he wrote Cloverfield as well, which I actually do really like that movie. Um, but I also yeah, I mean, understand that it's not going to be for everyone. But yeah, no, it's yeah. um, and he's done a couple of other things as well. But yeah, he's a really strong writer. Yeah, he also wrote um, um, well uh, with Whedon, um, Buffy. He did mm. a lot of writing on Buffy TV series. Yeah. I love um, Buffy. He, <laughs> yeah, we could have another podcast about Buffy. Yeah, um, but <laughs> and Angel. Um, oh, and Angel, don't forget Angel. Yeah, so he uh, also wrote um some of the episodes for daredevil the netflix tv series yes yep which i think was really good the first series of that was particularly quite good um i really enjoyed that and then the other film of his that he directed that i haven't seen um is the bad is bad times at the el royale yes i just got quite um yeah it's got quite an ensemble cast it's got quite a few big uh big actors in that one um chris hemsworth as well yeah he's in that one again yeah Yes, one of those newer releases that I remember seeing a lot of, like, especially in, like, other people's, like, Blu-ray pickups and stuff on YouTube, a lot of people were picking up that title, and, again, it's just, it does look like one that I'll enjoy, but I just, yeah, as you've already said with a couple of other movies, like, sometimes you just don't find the right time to get around to watching it, and that is one of them, so where to talk, where to start with this film. So we'll start with the opening scene, like we did with Scream. So this sort of opens up with what looks like two office type figures like they're wearing like white white shirt black tie trousers but they're in sort of like um i don't know what i don't know whether you called it a lab but it's almost like a, an industrial facility of some sort um it turns out to be sort of like the uh, control room for mm. all the events that are going to be happening throughout the film and these guys are just having a casual conversation chatting about stuff and here we have the first reference to another film um in their conversation where they're going on about how things um the likelihood of everything panning out because i think it's japan and the us are the ones that are left in this thing (laughs) 
<laughs> whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, so they mention that in 1998 there was a failing. That was the last time that they had, like, something fail, which is a reference to the faculty because they are on about the chemistry the, the department. Oh, that, okay. Did you get that reference? No, I miss. I think I, had... I must have missed that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when they're, you know, when they're both sat on, like, the... Not the, it's not like a golf buggy, but it's like the the, the small motorized vehicle that like yeah. transports them around. So they, uh, the one of the 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 lady um, scientists comes along, and then they're talking about the incident that happened in 1998 in the chemistry department, and that's like a direct reference to the faculty. That's awesome. Which, yeah, yeah. So there's your first there's your first reference, which you could like miss completely. Yeah. Um, I, I, I honestly did. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that I picked that out um from my own uh viewing experience that's one that i found through my um like research and stuff yeah but then yeah it, that that was like a direct reference to the faculty so that was fun that was fantastic just yeah. just in the first opening moments of the film but if you wouldn't yeah you would only really get that on repeated viewings and actually having seen the faculty and also then bringing in even if you had seen the faculty you still probably wouldn't pick that up but it's like repeated viewings and knowing how this film is pulling from all different types of horror films and stuff that that sort of thing that could be inserted into the film that opening sequence i remember reading somewhere that it's so it feels so mundane in the way that they're talking um it was actually designed to confuse the audience and make them think that they walked into the wrong cinema i can imagine so it's <laughs> it's it's brilliant because the bit that really makes that scene um work for me is when they're just having a mundane conversation he's like oh do you want to come with me to the the store and pick up some power tools <laughs> and then we have a really loud noise and almost like a scream with big bold letters saying cabin in the woods which is yeah. completely <laughs> off tone about the scene we're watching right now and that is an, an obvious nod to mikhail hanneke's funny games have you seen that film? Yes. Good, yes. Far out, yeah. yeah, so right at the beginning, in the funny games, that it's just a mundane fam a family driving in the car to like their their sort of like their summer house. Yes. And they're literally just having a casual conversation, nothing untoward, and then all of a sudden this like metal music just <laughs> blasts through the speakers yes. with funny games coming up on the screen, and you're like, whoa, that was completely unsuspected that that was going to happen yeah and I, obviously that bit in the cabin in the woods is a direct that's one that i did notice because i'm a huge fan of funny games yeah and uh for, for my sins and for my because that film is horrific but um <laughs> uh yeah that that was a, for me a really obvious nod to funny games and how it just goes this is mundane this is normal this is just a two people having conversations and then boom loud really jarring sounds and noises and then the the title of the film in big bold red letters yeah and I then to, I thank you sam for doing this research and i mean i know you said you picked this one out yourself but like mm. it's very clear that even some of these references have <laughs> we've we've missed and now that you've said it again like it's uh it is obvious like we we really like funny games as well and i remember the first time we watched that when the title credits came up and the metal music played it was just like absolutely shocked us it's just so jarring yeah, yeah like if you just i'm getting in even more of a more of an appreciation for cabin in the woods which i didn't even know was possible but yeah <laughs> um just, just a brief um on thing on funny games have you which version of the film have you seen uh, or have you seen both of them or just the original or just the us remake i've seen you've the, seen both 
Um, Sarah's seen just the original because we picked up the Criterion edition of it, but I, mm-hmm. I have seen the American remake, yes, as oh, well. Oh, cool. I, I'm, a sh- I'm, I'm, I'm t- led to believe they're, they're exactly the same film, just yes. with different actors. Well, because I believe the director, he, he always intended for that film to be a Hollywood film. And he wanted it to be done in America, but he didn't have obviously like he didn't have the um, the resources, or he didn't. But he always intended for it to be made Hollywood, like in, like in America, in, in America. yeah. Um, which is still, still, I don't know. I still think it is, is a little bit strange to remake the movie as closely as he did in like now that he did have the access to the resources. I mean, like it's still a, it's still a good movie because obviously i mean it has to be because it is almost a shot for shot remake of the original but like again i think i just prefer the original um there's something there's something um creepy about it and you know as i said the american one is worth watching i guess but like yeah there's not you're not missing much if you never watch the american remake i'll say that and then from that jarring funny games reference moment we sort of get introduced to our character archetypes or sort of yeah there we have um all the typical sort of um characters that you might find in your typical horror film or slash film or something like that so we have our sort of like stoner character um we have our like a jock like athlete type person we have like the really smart person we have the virgin who actually isn't a virgin but that's something we can discuss later and then we have like the sort of sexually precocious type um sort of pretty blonde um (laughs) girl as well so all the um the staples of the characters that you would find are accounted for and it's from here when they decide to spend some time uh, at um uh, i can't remember all the characters names um, but chris hemsworth's character he's cousin his cousin has a cabin in the woods which is always a recipe for a, for a really great um horror film of uh, um the the horror tropes and references to other films really start to ramp up and uh and then we notice that these uh these kids these kids these college kids are being monitored and followed by the sort of the characters that were in that intro scene hmm. um and I think one of the first really big um, sort of tropes that are explored is the the harbinger scene. Like so yes. many film, <laughs> the the harbinger at the gas station scene, which is used in a multitude of films, such as like Friday the Thirteenth or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or The Hills Have Eyes, or yes. the list goes on and on and on and on. Yeah, <laughs> which is brilliant because when I watched it, I was like this is great this is just like i when you get into the tone of the film you're like i see where this is going this is this is just like picking i don't know whether it's just like embracing the tropes or if it's like tongue-in-cheek critiquing them by going this is in every sort of classic horror film well we're going to do it as well sort of thing i don't really know what the tone is but I, i like that ambiguity with whether it's like a celebration of the trope or whether it's a critique or whether it's a bit of both like going this is in every horror film but we're gonna put it into our horror film just to point out that it's in every horror film yeah if that makes any sense whatsoever it does yeah and i it, it's a really funny scene um when oh he calls up the headquarters or whatever you want to call it and you know to give them a warning actually and they're, they're mocking him because <laughs> they put him on loudspeaker and 
it is talking really ominously talking about and, the sheep being led to the slaughter or yeah. some biblical reference yeah. he re- i just i love when he realizes he's on loudspeaker he just goes am i on loudspeaker just they all burst out laughing <laughs> it's just a great scene and like as you said like it's a staple in a lot of you know well-known horror movies and it's cool I, I like that you pointed out you're not sure if it's a celebration or a critique of that but i i think I think it's a celebration. I don't know. It could I, be a bit of both. <laughs> it could be. I think it is a bit of both because they obviously, the laughing at him, you could infer that as being a critique of it. But I, I still think just given the fun nature of the film that they're just, you know, playing into that sort of, you know, the fact that it is so common, you know, it's just one of, I don't know, it's just a brilliant scene. I really love it too. And then um, the, after going to have the uh, gas station scene, we arrive at the cabin, which is pretty much a carbon copy of the cabin from the evil dead. Yes. yes which well, which is another one of my very favorite horror films well i actually prefer evil dead 2 mm-hmm. but in general that that series that trilogy of films are just stellar and yes. yeah it literally looks like it it was modeled on that evil dead thing i was like is is the set still standing and they're just reusing it because with apart from i can't remember but is it is there like a swinging like um bench or anything i don't think there is but it's just basically missing that Mm. yeah i think it's just missing that and then it would literally just be that cabin from that film but um there's even a moment when sort of like the 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 more the tension and the scares start to creep into the film where the cellar door flips open yes Yes. exactly like it does in evil dead which is absolutely brilliant and you're expecting to see some zombies down there but they're they're not quite there yeah so yeah then they go down into the basement <laughs> and there's so many props yes that sort of are evocative of various different types of horror films they're not always like nodding to a specific like franchise or anything like that but they could be associated with various different types of um films one in particular is like um the sphere box with the blade sticking out of it which is very yeah. much like the prop that's used i can never remember the name of it Phantasm. it's not a, a franchise it's from hellraiser but i don't know what the name of the thing is called yeah you know, uh, the cube from hellraiser yeah, so uh oh man sorry when you said the this cube uh i merely went to phantasm because of the sphere with the Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, probably is. It could be a reference to that. No, no. I I think it um, is a reference to Hellraiser, especially when we get to that elevator sequence towards the end. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Yeah, I'm blanking on the name of it. The something configuration. I'm not sure, but yeah. Um. I I love seeing the props in that scene as well. It's just such a brilliant moment. I think we have throughout all these uh, scenes uh, intercut with like the control room and how all these um i don't know whether i don't know whether you'd call them scientists or whatnot i don't know what they are but their line of work is basically to um steer young kids into uh, a position in which they're ready to be sacrificed to the ancient gods which is a, a, a sort of a, a direction of the film that I did not expect it to go into, but it was it was welcomed when I sort of got my head around the concept. And they're just placing bets on how these kids are going to die, which I think is really, really good because it almost um, sort of echoes how the audience is viewing it because they're wondering, oh, I wonder how these characters are going to be killed. Because you go into these sorts of horror type films with an expectation about how certain characters may die and uh, who's going to be the killer. Because up to this point, 
we've not had any inkling about who may be the threat other than these sort of scientists controlling people who are down in like the underground controlling everything we, we don't really have like a an antagonist as such in terms of like someone who's going to kill people and as it turns out these people are betting on who that is who that or what may actually do the killing in this film which i think is a really good touch and we have like a whiteboard that has a huge list of various different types of monsters and creatures and references to other types of films where the killers are like the antagonist in the film so i thought that was a a really good touch yeah we we love that um that moment in the film as well and it's one of those I love those scenes in horror movies where obviously it depends on, you know, the content, the context of the film, but like it is one of those moments where you just want to pause it and have like a, have a look through and read the list and, you know, discuss like what could happen if it was one of those that actually ended up getting chosen. And like, I know they haven't done it, but like this would be the perfect type of film to create spinoffs of like just, there's just an absolute infinite amount of like combinations that um, could be made, obviously the end of this movie might not make that possible, but there's no reason why, you know, prequels to this film couldn't, couldn't have been made and all that sort of stuff. Um, I really love that part of this film, especially. Yeah. Absolutely. And I really wanted to add that the um, inclusion of the intern, um, I believe his name, his character, he's in Buffy and I think his character's name's like Andrew and he plays a very similar character in Buffy, sort of like a nerdy Tommy, uh, nerdy type of type of guy. And it's interesting how, it's sort of the the facility itself is a reference to Buffy in where they keep, I'm pretty sure they keep vampires and stuff in like a secret facility where one of Buffy's exes works or something. I think he works for like the CIA or, CIA or something. And it's really interesting how meta that is mm-hmm. and very self-referential of Joss, Joss Whedon to include that. Yeah, for sure. There is um, a reference to... Um... Uh, Firefly in this film that you may or may not have seen. Have you seen Firefly? No. <laughs> Are you aware of the show though? Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, so it's like the space western show that was cancelled way way too soon. It only ran for one series because the uh, the network that put it out butchered its uh, its airing. It basically aired like the fir- the fourth episode first and. Oh, it was man. just, oh, a, yeah, it was a nightmare. So basically that it didn't get any traction with viewers because they didn't really understand what was happening. And then it got like a second life on like um, sort of physical media and home release. So people really, um, really, really loved it. And it's got a huge cult following. And then they made Serenity, the film to sort of cap off the series, which I'm not a huge fan of, but the original series is, is definitely worth a watch. It's only like 13 episodes long. Um, so it's really good. But there's a sort of like a, uh, a, like a vil- the villain type characters in that series are called Reavers and in one of the scenes where there's all those various different types of monsters and creatures there's a Reaver in in one of the scenes uh, so that's obviously a nod to another Joss Whedon um, sort of project uh, thing that he worked on so it's all very meta again like Scream <laughs> yeah definitely I love that they reference their previous works within the film just exactly like Wes Craven did in, in his um, in Scream it's yeah, perfect pairing these two. I guess that's why we're doing this yeah. podcast. <laughs> so when we go down the elevator, as I just mentioned, we ha- the tone of the film becomes something completely different. So up up above in the cabin, we had these sort of like 
uh, zombie type characters that are basically uh, sort of chasing after the some of the characters in the film and you think it's sort of like this undead uh, zombie film that is basically killing these people in the cabin and then we go downstairs to in the elevator into these cube type things which in itself is a reference to the film cube if you've seen cube. yes of course yeah, yeah we've seen cube <laughs> yeah yeah um and we have in these or all these different boxes and cubes i should say we have a variety of sort of references to an, an infinite amount of horror franchises and horror monsters and just yep. general things of that sort and it's crazy like you said matt earlier about pausing the scene on where you get the whiteboard and just reading through everything you can pause that scene and if you look closely you can see so many different references to things absolutely yeah my brother always it's, likes it's to point crazy. out yeah absolutely my brother likes to point out all the um there's like left for dead car uh, special infected sort of characters that's right yeah i think it, the witch from no, the it might be dead. the boomer yeah oh the boomer sorry of course all four all four of them are in there actually oh, oh amazing wow. okay and yeah because i know yeah, that the wit, left the boomer and i can't remember what all the names are but all the four different types of um infected type of things you can play as in left for dead yeah um, they're all they're all in there in those cubes if you look for them hard enough there's actually supposed to be a sort of cabin in the woods dlc for left for dead but the company who was making it i think it was mgm sort of went under before they could right finance it or that would have been really cool yeah we did end up getting it left for dead dlc this year though so yeah true you know <laughs> i will say a character that i i think's not quite as good as what randy is in scream but has a very similar role is marty in this film yes i love so him i love he... him more than randy <laughs> You do. Interesting. Yes. I, I think Marty's really good. I like, I like, I don't know the actor who plays him. I probably should have looked that up before. I said <laughs> it's okay. That, we but, forget um, to. Fran Cans. Yeah. That's Fran it. Cranz. Yeah. That's uh, it. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> he has a very, very similar role in sort of being like knowing what genre like tropes and expectations are for the situation they're in. He's very sort of, even though he's a stoner, which is an explanation which I'm not quite sold on as to why someone like these sort of um, mists and ways of uh, coercing these people into doing certain things like changing their mind and making stupid decisions doesn't work on him because they make reference that the stuff that he smokes has made him immune to it. Yeah. yeah. I think that was slightly, in my opinion, slightly lazy writing to <laughs> make, give it a, a, give him a reason of why he's like, clued up on what's going on and sort of like suspect to these strange things that are happening uh yeah. kind of amusing but at the same time i was like i'm not too i'm not too sold on that explanation like i'm happy to have a stoner character in the in the in like the plot and stuff but if, if that's the reason why he's immune to all this stuff then i'm not too sure but marty it, yeah he's a great character and then you think he is you think he's killed off but then as we know if you don't actually see a character being killed on screen, but you think they're dead, they're not going to be dead. Like yep. we know yep. this from watching Scream, like and all these other sort of slasher and horror films where this is a character that's likely going to come back and either save the day or make some sort of impact in the story later on, as Marty does. So um, I really like that. Like it was expected, but at the same time, it was like it didn't subvert the genre. It's more of a 
a celebration and sort of like a pointing out of this is something that happens in films in these types of films and there's some there's a reason why these sorts of things are put in films over and over again is because they're like enjoyable and even though they're expected it's like we just like watching these sorts of things where characters come back and help save the day and sort of things so um i think as an audience member we needed just that at least that one character to sort of defy that divine force that we see going on throughout the movie like we see all these bad things happen to these characters and we need just someone to say to sort of stand up for that um to stand up to it and resist it yeah it feels kind of bad like you feel really bad for these characters when you you know consider the fact that there's an entire base like headquarters of people working specifically to screw them over (laughs) so it's cool to have um yeah, someone like him actually, you know, be clued into what's going on. But I do agree with your um, critique of, you know, why he was clued in in the first place. I, I think it's amusing, but it is definitely worth pointing out that <laughs> maybe not the best writing, but still, I think by that point, it's not something I worry too much about. But again, maybe that was a missed opportunity to come up with a better reason. For sure. So as with Scream, uh, I mentioned about um, the cast. Uh, like, How do we feel about the cast for the various different roles in this film? I do think that the um, there is some good performances in here, but the overall strength of the cast isn't quite as compelling or as, it's definitely not as iconic as what Scream is. But I do think, as we mentioned, Marty is a really good character. And um, I thought... Um, pretty much everyone who works in like the underground control station, wherever that is, is really, really good. Um, and Chris Hemsworth is, is really good in his role as well. I do feel like some of the other characters, their performances are just a bit, um, just fine. Like yeah. there's nothing too, um, memorable about them in general. I do feel some like their characters are there, uh, to move the plot along more than anything, yeah. which again, is it's not necessarily a critique because that's how the genre works for the, a lot of the time you know you come into watching films that this is sort of um paying homage to or parodying or critiquing or celebrating however you want to interpret it they have that trope in them this like n- the characters generally aren't very fleshed out very one-dimensional but at the same time you're not watching these types of films to have like really deep character studies <laughs> so yeah. it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a like double-edged sword where it's like they're not very well fleshed out characters but they're they're not generally supposed to be and the film is obviously making uh, a commentary on that by not making them very fleshed out so well yeah absolutely you can make the argument that it was a deliberate plot choice it was a deliberate um choice on the on the part of the scientists to sort of make them this one-dimensional archetype and and turn them into that so i mean the acting could of that could be completely deliberate but it could also be chalked up to pretty average acting but it is interesting Mm -hmm. to note that chris hemsworth actually landed the role of thor after people saw his um, performance in this movie Mm. which is really interesting yeah i actually quite like chris hemsworth in this movie and i think Maybe one thing to consider is the fact that there are a lot of characters in this movie. I mean, you've got the five main characters, you know, in the cabin, but you obviously also have all the characters in the in the facility. And, you know, while that's not, you know, that's not to say that they still shouldn't be a lot of memorable, well-written characters, maybe that is a factor to consider. But um, 
I also, you know, as far as maybe having the characters be predictable, one-dimensional, one, one scene I did want to point out that I really liked, and we might even talk about it a bit later, is when, um, you know, th these characters, they, they're supposed to be predictable because they're put in this uh, particular scenario and it's supposed to play out a specific way. But I really love how, for example, in the scene where Chris Hemsworth, he first comes back after him and his partner are attacked, and he suggests that, uh, no matter what we do, we have to stick together. And the people at the facility mm -hmm. are like, no, nope, that can't happen. That's yeah, that's not the way <laughs> it's going to happen. So they like literally gas them with like some, I don't know, like a pheromone or whatever it was um, to impair his decision-making. And I always love that because, you know, um, there's so many instances in horror movies where you sort of question, you know, the, the judgments the of decisions. these, of these characters who are, you know, battling off a killer and, you know, just to call back to scream for a moment, like, one of the conversations that Sydney Prescott has on the phone with the killer, how she, like, I think it's one of the first conversations she has with him. Um, she's making fun of uh, uh, people in horror movies and how, you know, some dumb characters always just uh, run up the stairs instead of just going straight out the front door. And then it's literally followed by the killer going for her and she tries to go out the front door, but it's locked and she ends up running up the stairs. stairs. So, like, I like yeah. how, even though they're commenting on it, they're still fulfilling what they're, if they're fulfilling the actions of what they're already commenting on in the first place, if that makes sense. Well, both those scenes sort of reference um, the idea of free, free will versus destiny as well. Yes. And that's that's a very common theme throughout Cabin in the Woods. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a really good uh, little, almost like a throwaway moment, but um, uh, the, the lead uh, actress in this film, I'm really bad with names, but she um, has like a knife or like a screwdriver or something in her hand that she's used as a weapon. And then the guys in the control room give that weapon an electric shock. So she drops it because otherwise oh, there would be God. no, did, did you ever notice that? I, I, I maybe we I I honestly had must have forgotten it. I that's that's actually really interesting. And and as yeah you know, yes plays into it yeah yeah. So she she's like it, it, carrying this weapon. And if you're in that situation, there's no reason why you would ever drop that. Like you're yes. just holding on to that for dear life to like protect yourself from any further threat. But she's like has it down by her side, and there's this little moment where you can see a little bit of like uh like a little bit of static or a almost looks like lightning that touches a hand and then she drops it on the floor, but the, the camera doesn't make you pay attention to that, but it's there. So if you're looking for it, it does happen. So that gives an explanation as to why like people drop weapons. Cause you, you have like horror films or slasher films where like a victim, may oh, have yeah. a weapon and, and then yeah, they and like they drop it away. or leave it somewhere. And you're like, <laughs> why would they make that stupid decision drives to crazy. carry yeah. that with them? But they yep. give an explanation in this is because it's being controlled by the masterminds in the bunker in the facility. Yes, and they actually shock. <laughs> they actually shock her hand, and then she drops the weapon on the floor, which is mm. a really good touch. It's like giving explanations as to why poor decisions are made in horror films is because they're being controlled by someone else. So that's yeah. amazing. That is, I love this movie. <laughs> <It's> so good. <laughs> yeah. So there is, as like we mentioned earlier with Scream. There is a plethora of video game and film references throughout this film. I guess the really the most notable one is probably the Evil Dead is the one that's sort of stamped all over the yes, film with the cabin absolutely. and the uh, every and, and particularly like um, the, the zombies because she reads from the diary, doesn't she? Um, yeah. That. 
Young Girl, which is basically a nod to like the ne- Necronomicon from the Evil Dead as well, and like yeah. the um, the basement door uh, sort of flying open and things like that. And it's very much Evil Dead is probably the prominent one, but there are also when we start getting down into the sort of facility below and we start to see other strange things that you probably wouldn't have expected from the genre from the film when you go into it we have i'm just going to list off a few here that you may or may not have seen some of these i picked up myself some of them i it's through research that i've done so as as we mentioned earlier there's like a whiteboard scene uh, that where they're making all the bets about how these kids are going to be killed and stuff um and there's also when the carnage ensues when all these creatures are released there's like cctv footage in the background of some of the action scenes so you'd pretty much have to sort of like pause it at the right time to catch some of these things but they are all there so just to mention a few things that are referenced throughout the film Uh, i've already mentioned the hills have eyes and the evil dead but also films like the strangers uh it um 13 ghosts um american psycho blade creature from the black lagoon uh texas chainsaw massacre the shining i mentioned firefly earlier there's a scene where some action is happening and there's a reaver there in one of the scenes we just briefly mentioned left for dead so there's a few video game uh, mentions uh references there's also a, um, a scene uh using a character from fear video game if you've ever played that oh, I, oh, yeah. Alma or Alma. Uh, yeah, I, yeah that's I love right yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah um we also mentioned the cube which is quite obvious from all the creatures and stuff being in in those cube um containers and then we have the one of the first references right at the beginning of the film uh with the faculty which was like the failed attempt to give a, a sacrifice to like these ancient gods uh, where the uh, the events of the film uh, happened. So, yeah, there's probably a lot more I missed um, that were in there. I think there may have been like a Haunting on Hill House reference as well that I didn't write down. But You've also got the um, the reference to the sort of Japanese um, ghost girl, whether it be, it's probably most likely Sadako from Ring in when they look at Japan, the hauntings in Japan. Of course, yeah. I, I, forgot, um, to, I forgot to mention that, yeah. That is one of the funniest scenes, my dad's favourite scene, where they turn, they managed to turn the evil ghost into a happy frog and he's looking at the camera. He's looking at the camera and he's swearing and he's yelling at the little girls for <laughs> overcoming this demon. It's so good. <laughs> I want to see that film. I want to see that yeah. version of events. <laughs> it was it's terrifying. It's so... Uh, I love it because it's, it's in the background. Like, it's so low-key, but... It's it's terrifying when you think about it. Enough is shown that makes you curious about how that would play out in its own film. Yeah, but and it but it feels so mundane in the whole scheme of things in the yeah, movie. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to see the various different um, attempts to sacrifice the these people to the gods from various parts of the world. So, um, yeah, uh, any further points of discussion before we move on to talking about? um these two films as a pairing um yeah did you want to maybe discuss the ending of the film uh yeah that would probably be a really good point um i can 
completely skipped over that one, didn't I? So, <laughs> the end, yeah, that was, that, that, thanks for mentioning that one. So the ending uh, of the film uh, sort of is uh, basically an ending to the world uh, as the, <laughs> the uh, sacrifice um, that doesn't work, basically, as um, our characters sort of survive uh, the sort of trials and tribulations that are sort of given to them and we meet uh sort of like maybe the the overseer of everything of what's going on uh, in Sogi, sigourney weaver which yes. i Legend. even on second viewing i was like oh damn sigourney weaver's in this film <laughs> which i guess in itself is a reference to like some of the horror films she's been in like aliens franchise and maybe even ghostbusters i'm ghostbusters. not too sure <laughs> by having her her in this um having her as like this character because she's not really billed in the film at all um so she's sort of like um sort of like matt damon in um interstellar sort of like being a secret star um yeah which i found really interesting and yeah so they the sacrifice doesn't work the gods are angry and um the world ends right <laughs> yeah that's right yeah and i've always really liked the ending of this movie and i'm i'm probably gonna butcher like because you can read it a certain way and i'm probably gonna butcher my my particular reading of it um so i'll try my best but one you know this whole movie has sort of been about um you know a, a satire of the horror genre and like comment commenting on you know the predictable nature and the formats that have already been pre-established throughout you know the decades of horror movies and um the end at the very end when um sigourney weave is trying to convince i, I know i keep forgetting the character's names but she's dana. trying to convince the uh, dana that's it to kill it, yeah. um to kill marty um a lot of people understandably see her, like the fact that she doesn't kill him sort of see that as almost almost selfish i mean like it's if it's either just marty dies or the six world. or the entire world dies including marty <laughs> anyway and obviously like you know you can um feel a diff few different ways about that but if you sort of consider the fact that you know it, it is playing on this um horror genre and like you know the conventions and stuff like that um i've had there's a you can sort of read as the old gods is almost being um how would i even explain this sort of like you know dana makes a comment and i think even marty does as well about how maybe it's time that we, we had a fresh start yeah and you yeah. know we've already talked about how the people in the facility are ensuring that these conventions and stereotypes are adhered to in how these characters play out their fates yeah. so you can almost yeah. read the the old gods as being um traditional filmmaking yeah like more it's almost paving the way by destroying the world you know they're paving the way for more unique original horror <laughs> films to possibly be made with new fresh ideas things that don't adhere to like the safe way of making films which you know this movie is all about so i don't know if i sort of butcher that explanation but that's sort no. of how I, how I look into it yeah no i i would i read the film exactly the same way and and because of that that's why i feel like this film is both embracing and also critiquing the genre it's not yes. just um a celebration because of the way that you read the film and it's, it's exactly how i read it as well it's basically a commentary on how stale a lot of mainstream horror films are particularly yes. at the time when yeah. the film was being made and by basically the world ending it's not really the world ending it's basically just wiping the slate clean on the genre and 
sort of encouraging people to maybe think outside the box and do something different, which I do think there are some horror filmmakers out there doing something really good, like Robert Eggers and um, Ari Aster are doing fantastic Absolutely. work mm-hmm. in the genre in, the, in, in like the mainstream. They're like really approaching like subject matter and um, really, yeah, just approaching horror with, with fresh eyes and just doing great, great stuff. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But there was a period, particularly like from the mid 2000s until I don't know about for 10 years where the, for me, the horror genre was pretty dire um there wasn't a huge amount of stuff that i enjoyed um there are still there's still things during that time period that i i i enjoy and like but as as a general as a general time period for horror films i do think it for me was quite lacking in like originality but then you get films like um it follows um Mm -hmm. which is obviously was very different as well and the babadook um so uh, yeah, I think horror's improved as of Absolutely. recent years. Um, for, typically for general audiences, um, not everyone's into horror, but uh, yeah, I, I think the, the, the genre is in, improving in terms of its quality. Um, yeah. I, I think about like um, It Follows, Babadook, that sort of like 2014, I feel like that marked the renaissance of horror or renaissance yeah. of horror rather. Um, for me personally, at least, because it, it sort of it went away from, um, I don't know, I, it's probably just me, um, but a, a lot of the 2010, early 2000s horror was like very sexualized and they felt like mm-hmm. they needed to cash in on the, the sex aspect to sell the movie. Sort of um, biggest example is Friday the, new, Friday the 13th remake. Mm. Yeah, and absolutely bringing in sort of like it follows babadook it felt like tasteful again i don't know yeah and maybe more attempt like yeah absolutely yeah and it definitely is a common theme throughout a lot of those sort of early to mid 2000s horror movies and like you know obviously plenty of exceptions they're not all sexualized but absolutely like i totally understand that that was something that was incorporated into a lot of those films and there's still a lot of great um, horror films that came out in that area in particular i think uh i loved the boom of like j horror especially in the in the early 2000s i thought that was oh, um course, quite fresh yeah. but as far as like the more hollywood-esque horrors obviously uh remakes had a massive surge yeah in the um in the 2000s and you know obviously again i do love a lot of those horror remakes but i can also acknowledge that a lot of them are sort of very similar in a lot of ways in their production and uh, all the all the rest of it so there's definitely critiques to be made but i really do like the direction that horror movies are taking now you know as we've already mentioned when you know in the form of the babadook it follows um you know hereditary midsummer. i could keep going and yeah so i'm very hopeful for you know the move for the future of horror movies absolutely now that we didn't skip the ending of the film <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, should we uh, talk about the film as a pairing? We briefly touched on it throughout the throughout the episode, but if we can just summarize our thoughts on why we would recommend and think this is like, in I'll just say I think this is a superb um, pairing, maybe one of the best pairings we've had on the show so far in terms of like their compatibility and stuff. Uh, so yeah, what 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 sort of what what would you say? to listeners out there to even though they've probably seen the films already but to convince them that these these uh these this is a great pairing and your justification for it yeah absolutely yeah um i agree um absolutely with you sam yeah they're very very compatible films make an excellent double feature um 
on top of just being excellent, excellently made in, in many different regards, the fact that they are so meta and, you know, they have actual deeper things that you can read into, it really sort of solidifies both of these movies as being more than just your typical horror film. And it's just, yeah, there's so many great things that I could keep talking on and on about, but obviously we've, um, yeah, they're just absolutely fantastic. And, you know, one thing I wanted to mention as well about the sort of, you know, the meta nature of like movies like Scream, that is like the brilliance of, you know, movies like Scream and even Cabin in the Woods, in my opinion, is that, you know, I think even if you were completely new to the horror genre, and you didn't understand any of these references at all, I think they still stand on their own yep. as very solid horror movies, especially Scream. Um, but both of them are absolutely fantastic. And, you know, ones that are great to watch on your own, but especially uh, what you can, uh, great ones to watch with friends as well and in groups. I always, I think they work well in both settings. Yeah, can't agree more. Um, yeah, just to reiterate, the films are both like hyper aware of the the tropes of, of the genre and they subvert them to great effects like i can't think of any films like these that subvert the genre so well it's this is just fantastic and i guess i should say that they both have an an extensive reference to other films which for horror fans and horror buffs and just film buffs in general is always a nice thing to have in there so you get that little uh jolt of joy when you, you you spot something from like a franchise or a film that you really love and you're like oh that's cool that they put that in there or oh they yeah. put that in there it's always, always good when you get those acknowledgements and it sort of like almost validates your your love and your knowledge of these things because you you get what they're going for and you understand all these things that they're they're, they're pointing out to us yeah i love things like that it's there's so much joy to be had in these two films and this is going to sound so dramatic but Whenever I, whenever I finish watching Cabin in the Woods or Scream, I get sad because I'm like, no other film makes me feel this specific feeling I feel when I feel like when I watch this, and that it's like that meta reference. It's got its horror, it's got its comedy, and it's just like a perfect, a perfect I don't know gift to the audience. And I think I want more films to be like that. Um, but that being said. Um, I do also have a lot of other films. A lot of other films come to mind when I think of these two films. Yeah, do you have, well. a, like, a specific recommendation? I know I do. Um, do you have a, one in mind, Sam? Um, yes, I have two recommendations. You, are you right if we do recommendations, Sam? Of course, yeah, go for it. Okay, so my first one, um, it's it's definitely, I wouldn't consider it a comedy, but it's, I wouldn't consider it having any um comedic elements but it's uh behind the mask the story of leslie vernon have you have you seen that one never heard of it okay so it is a um a documentary crew follows around a wannabe serial killer he wants to be the next jason Voorhees, and okay. the documentary crew sort of obviously like follows him around as he you know uh, sets up his um first sort of like massacre or whatever and the director of the documentary she gets a bit too close to him and or gets a bit too she becomes sort of like the subject matter of the documentary like becomes his sort of final girl and um yeah it's just it's an interesting pairing because obviously it makes reference to those films and yeah it's very meta in that sense and the other um movie i would highly recommend to pair with this one is the movie the final girls have you seen that one I have, yes. 
I think that that's fantastic. I mean, it's not amazing. It's not on Scream level or Cabin in the Woods level, but I think it is really like it's sort of like a heartwarming um, play on the slasher genre. So yeah, I yeah definitely recommend that one, and it definitely it references those classic slasher tropes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I still need to um actually I need to rewatch that one. It's been a while, but um yeah, I had one quick recommendation if you don't mind, Sam. Um, and I know I'm sure a lot of people who are listening have probably already watched this one, but it is immensely fun and that is uh tucker and dale versus evil have you seen that one sam oh amazing love it, it yeah. is so good <laughs> i i think that's actually a, a decent one to pair along with these ones as well obviously i think cabin in the woods and scream are probably the perfect pairing but just that sort of play on you know the audience expectations of you know yeah, you know, we get introduced to these two characters who look like they're going to be the main antagonist and the ends up just being the absolute flip <laughs> side and i mean as i said a lot of people have probably already watched the movie but just an excellent comedy horror i mean it's a comedy horror but like absolutely massive emphasis on the comedy elements and um really great performances by i think his name's tyler bean and alan tuddick who's also in firefly actually um yeah. and yeah so fantastic film highly recommended especially if you are a fan of specifically the slasher genre it had no right to be as good as it did yeah that's, that's what i'll say <laughs> yeah very pleasant surprise when i watched that for the first time and i've since watched it at least 10 or 15 times yeah so that will be a wrap on um this uh episode of the let's watch two podcast i hope the listeners out there really enjoyed this episode i know i've really enjoyed talking to matt and sarah from amateur filmies um so uh just a bit of um contact information where can our listeners uh find you guys yeah uh, so we have a youtube channel called uh, amateur filmies um we do a bunch of different types of videos we do lots of blu-ray hauls and sort of collection overviews um we do some like top 10 film related lists like sarah i think sarah's planning on doing a top 10 found footage film video in the in the future um i recently did a friday the 13th franking uh franking ranking franchise ranking the <laughs> franchise far out it'll get all tongue-tied there but yeah we do a whole variety of um film content so you can find us at, on youtube at uh, amateur filmies and we also have an instagram uh with the same title as well awesome yeah highly recommend checking out amateur filmies their their content's fantastic i've followed them for quite a while and uh, it's always a pleasure to uh, watch one of your videos when you when you post it up and th okay, thank you cool. for the um thank you for the lovely compliment as well sam we do appreciate it and just the you know, the opportunity to be on a podcast like this talking with someone like you and um you know in, in depth about these films it's just it's just a great thing because i think i may have even said this on our, the first episode we did together where we don't have a lot of people in our actual lives that we can talk to about movies this much so it's always great to talk to you on this podcast and also with people who watch our videos and comments. It's always great to interact with people in this community. So we do really appreciate the chance to be on this podcast. So thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. You're more than welcome. So uh, if you want to get in contact with the uh, the show, if you want to make some comments about any of the shows we've done or maybe recommend a future sort of double feature for the show to cover, then please get in contact with us at letswatch2 at gmail.com. You can also follow the show on Instagram, uh, also at Let's Watch 2. And you can follow me personally um, on YouTube. Um, I have a budding YouTube channel um, under the moniker Film Blogger Sam. 
and you can also follow me on instagram also under film blogger sam so yeah that'll be a wrap on this episode of let's watch two uh, hopefully we'll be back soon with another episode so until next time everyone take care